she asked us a question which got me thinking as well. She said, uh, do you actually think back then Jesus was hot? <laughs> this is how full-time ministers talk in our you know, back room. So I'll give you a little bit of a glimpse into the background. And then the most surprising thing is my wife replies, yeah, I think he was pretty hot. <laughs> and so she's like, imagine, you know, he's most likely a carpenter by trade. All right, before he entered into the ministry, 29 years old, 30 years old, and then he was, he learned up the trade of his father, a carpenter, most likely. It's, he's either some craftsman or stonemason or a carpenter, most likely. And so it's very hard, laborious labor. Back then, you're not having an electric saw, you don't have all these power tools. You do everything by hand. And can't you see the, the, the veins popping out as he is shaving the wood? And imagine doing this day in, day out. And I was talking to someone in the church office, and he was even telling me that he went on the Israel tour, you know, Jerusalem and every, everything, and he saw some of the routes that Jesus took even when he went into the wilderness. And he's saying, it is so rugged. You have to be very fit. You have to be very strong. You have to be very able in order to get through some of the routes that Jesus took in order to do his ministry, in order to go through the wilderness. You know, and so in conclusion, uh, Mei Fong then concluded, "Yeah, if Jesus was walking uh, uh, today in our church, I'm pretty sure he's gonna be the most eligible guy in this church. You know, 29 years old, you know, rippling muscles, okay, and, and strong, and he sure got a group of girls chasing after him. Okay, and so that's our conclusion. But let's not deviate from the topic at hand. You know, we don't want to think too much about his." physical attractiveness. We want to focus on some of his other attributes, but this will link into what I want to cover later on about, you know, Jesus coming down to earth as a human. All right? Okay? And so, um, it's interesting because the story that I want to talk about is the only one of its type in the whole Bible. It's the only story of Jesus as a youth. He's 12 years old, there's no other story. You go through the Gospels, all you find is, you know, the birth narrative of Jesus. And then it jumps to when he's about 30 years old already, about to enter into the ministry, whether doing the miracle of the wine at the wedding and then going into ministry, but getting baptized by John the Baptist. It jumps. And so very little stories are there to fill the middle part. And so this is what really intrigued me and brought me to this story because it reveals some glimpses and insights into who Jesus was and what that means for us. And it's important to note that Luke, the one who wrote this story, is a doctor by profession. He's known to be very meticulous, very detailed in his writing. And he, it's even uh, written in, in, in another chapter that he holds eyewitness testimony very highly. He goes around, he does his investigation, his research, he interviews first-hand eyewitnesses in order to come up with what he writes. And not only that, he's, they're very selective, the gospel writers, about the stories they put in. If you put in everything that Jesus did, it's probably, you know, a hundred volumes. And so they choose very specific stories of what they know about Jesus in order to put in. And so when this, this interesting story comes in then, you have to ask the question, what was Luke getting at? What is the message he wants us to see as readers? 
What is the message he wants us to receive and learn from it? Why did he put this specific story in that no other gospel writer, no other New Testament writer decided to put in the Bible? Okay? And before we read the passage, I want to leave you with a question. And this was something that gave my wife a lot of distress when I asked her as well. I asked her, do you think that Jesus was ever wrong? Do you think that Jesus was ever wrong? And then she said, of course not, he's perfect. And, and I agree with her. But then I said, okay, let's, let's, let's not talk about moral failure. Not, let's not talk about sin. Let's not talk about, uh, you know, um, sinful nature and, and, and being wrong in any way that way. Because we read in Hebrews and all throughout the New Testament is that he has been te tempted in every way, but he has remained completely sinless, completely impeccable in his nature, Right? So that's very clear, that that's off the table. But then I asked her, but has he ever made a mistake? A mistake that is not sinful. Is it possible? If he went to school when he was in his younger years, do you think he got 100%? And my wife says, yes, he got 100% for everything. Okay? It's very <laughs> more comforting to her to, to think about Sheer perfection, you know? And, and I don't know. For me, I was like, what if he got 80%? What if he, worked his, he did his best, he, he worked hard, and he studied, but then he took the test, and he got 80%. That means he, did, he got 20% wrong. He made mistakes in the test. Oh, no, you know? And then she's like, Roger, stop it, you know? <laughs> My head is hurting. So you, if you read through Luke, repeatedly he says, Jesus grew in wisdom. He grew in stature. He grew in maturity. He grew in, in favor with man and with God. That means that there was room for growth, right? That means that there was a growth curve. That means that there were certain points that he was not mature yet or, or, or still on that journey to maturity. There are certain points where he's still on the journey of growth. He's still you know, at a place where he might not know a lot of things. You know, as a baby... How many of you are new moms? As a baby, do you think he woke up Mary in the middle of the night many times? You know, do you think that he, th he threw a tantrum before as a baby when he was hungry and he started crying and kicking? Some of us, when we imagine Jesus, is complete perfection in every way. Not only sin, but in terms of everything. You think about them having dinner, a family dinner, and then you hear the angels singing at the, the dinner. And then Jesus says, Daddy, Mommy, let's hold our hands and let's pray. Bless this food as we break this bread. You know, we imagine him at that level of perfection. And Luke is very interesting. You'll begin to see glimpses that, you know, he does not diminish any of Jesus' divinity. He is so clear about Jesus as the Messiah, as the Son of God, as the divine living God right? But at the same time, he wants us to give, give us a glimpse of the depth of humanity that Jesus took on. That means that Jesus as a baby, Jesus as a child, he didn't have a consciousness of a, an eternal God at that point of time. That means there were things that he had emptied of himself, that he had enjoyed as a pre-existent God. He had to empty himself of uh, omnipresence, because he's in a physical vessel, he's not everywhere at the same time. He had to empty himself of omniscience, 
That means he doesn't know everything anymore. And that's why it says that only the Father knows when that time will come, I don't know. You know, because he had emptied himself of certain aspects that he had enjoyed, you know, before he came down as a human and took on complete humanity, fully man, fully God. And so we're very comfortable always to talk about his divinity because it's easy to say, yeah, God is sovereign, Jesus is sovereign, he is the Messiah. All these things are things that we accept very readily. But when we start asking about the depth of his humanity, then you get a situation like me and my wife, and she's like, please don't make me uncomfortable any longer. Don't ask these things of me anymore. Get thee behind me, Satan. All right? And so we're going to go into this passage, and, and as we go in and we, we go through this um, topic today, I want you to ask that question. You know, was there any point that Jesus still had to grow? Was there any point that he hadn't reached the destination yet? Was there any point that he was not fully mature yet? Could he have responded in a slightly mature way? Not about sin. Let's not talk about sin here because that is clearly off the table. He is sinless, impeccable. All right? But as we go through, let's understand the humanity of Jesus and what it means for us today. Is that okay? All right, let's stand even as we read uh, a very simple, short story. I think it's about 12 verses. Okay, one, two, three. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Let's just pray before we are seated. God, may you bless the reading of your word. May you illuminate our minds and our hearts and our spirits today of the message you want to give us, not by man's wisdom, not by man's efforts, but by your spirit let whatever message you want us to receive be given and be received today. Let there be good seed falling on good soil, O oh Lord. Let your will be done. May you have your way. God, we've already experienced your presence so powerfully during the worship already. And God, we thank you for the privilege of coming into your presence as your child, O oh Lord, and to learn at your feet. So Holy Spirit, you take over. You take lead today, even as we open our hearts to everything that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 
You know, for many of us, this is a familiar story. I don't know whether when you read it today, whether anything new comes up, any, anything kind of like pops up and you're like, oh, maybe I should take note of that. Why is that happening in that story? What was it about Jesus' tone? What was it about the parents' tone? You know, I don't know whether anything new came up. But, but there's a few things that we can, you know, uh, understand even from reading this passage about the, the way Jesus' family functioned. First of all, we know that he grew up in a very devout, God-fearing family. It says that every year they went to Jerusalem. They made their pilgrimage to Jerusalem. They brought all their family along, all right? And then um, they, they, they would go there in order to, to fulfill this um, Passover festival, which is arguably the most important event in the entire Jewish calendar. Okay? And so, the thing is, the requirement is only for the adult male to go on this pilgrimage. But it's, it's shown that year after year, the whole family goes. Okay? The whole family goes, even the children, even the women, they all go. This means that they go above and beyond in order to honor the law. That means that they don't only obey the law, they love the law. They don't only obey God, they love God. They want to go above and beyond in order to you know, fulfill uh, the, their, their, their obligations before God and they are embracing the covenant that God has with them, the Mosaic covenant you know, that was established back in the time of Moses you know, where it established some of these rituals that they needed to follow. And so Jesus grew up in this very devout, God-fearing, loving family, you can see. And imagine this, he is the perfect son of God, you know, the Messiah, the divine, you know, uh, a son of God who grows up in this, in this family. It's a good family. And what does Luke show us? He doesn't show us perfection here. He shows that even in this very ideal setting for a family where just about everything should be going right, it's, it's like a typical messy family situation. Doesn't it remind you of some of the things that go on in our own families? You can see that there's disagreements. There's almost like an argument. There's misunderstandings. There's frustration. They cause each other pain. In such a perfect family, you see that there is mess as well. And that's something that's important for us to, to understand that authentic family life is messy. When we get into each other's lives, when we're honest with each other, when we have to grow with each other, when, you know, when we, we don't have the full picture sometimes with each other, there will be quarrels, there will be disagreements. How many of your homes have had quarrels before? How many of your homes have had fights between parent and child and child and parent and brother and sister? and husband and wife, you know, Jesus' family went through those as well. Can you turn to your neighbor and just say, Jesus' family went through it as well. Now turn to the other side and say, you're doing all right, keep going. 
And so it's so interesting what Luke wants to reveal. Once again, let's remember the context. He's not going to diminish any of Jesus' divinity because he is fully convinced of it when he's writing this gospel. Okay? But he wants to reveal how human Jesus was as well. And in this messy situation, you see that it was really a difficult situation. If you were a parent today and you discovered that your child was missing, how would you feel? Would you panic? Okay, I don't know how honest you guys would be. How many of you have ever lost a child, you know, a missing child before? You know, only one. Wow, you guys are good parents. How many of you are children here that have, have been lost before Give me away? Okay, there's a few more. You panic. You panic. You're so fearful. And not only that, it is during the festival of the Passover, the most busy festival of all time. Have you ever gone back to Malacca or Ipoh or Penang during public holiday? It is so crowded. Everywhere you walk, everywhere you go, every mall that you go to, you, you're bumping into people and it's such a, a crowded experience. Imagine losing a child in that kind of setting. I was discussing with Sarah whether to tell this story or not. There was one time we went for a church camp, a college camp in Malacca. It was during a public holiday. I don't know if it was Raya or something a while back. Okay, and it was so crowded. And while we were both ministering at the church camp, uh, her parents start, came up, drove up from KL and said, oh, we pity your children, you drag them everywhere. And so we're going to take them out to the mall to, you know, and then stay a night in order to at least not have them just tag along and, and, and all the time you know, uh, to all your services and all your church camps. And so they came and they, they brought uh, two of my children out, Nat and Sam. Okay, uh, Nat at the time was probably five years old, and, and Sam would have been three years old. And so, uh, in the midst of that very busy mall, um, uh, the, Sam was taken to the bathroom by her mom. And Nat was with her father, who was watching over the grocery uh, cart. He turned around and she was gone. Gone in Malacca in the busiest time of the year. Oh, man. And then they just looked, they, they, he panicked, he was frantic, he waited for uh, Sam and, and, and my mother-in-law to come back, and he said, I've lost Nat, I, I don't know where she is, let's go. And we, they went and visited every place, they, they, they got the guards involved, they you know, went to the info counter, they could not find her. To cut a long story short, um, back then when they were walking um, to, to, to the grocery store, they had passed this uh, arcade center and Nat had seen, you know, this Daytona machine that she wanted to play. So she's truly my daughter. And uh, it's a car racing machine and she thought she wanted to play it. And at, so at some point she thought it was very smart to sneak away. And so she snuck away and I think it took them about 15, 20 minutes to find her. And when they came back to church, you know, they were in the room and we came back and said, something's wrong. They were just seated there quiet. You know, the lights were off, and I'm like, what's going on? It felt like we're going into deep worship. No, I'm just playing. Uh, <laughs> you know, it was dark, and they, they wouldn't talk. And later on, Sarah went and asked them what happened, and she found out. And I heard the story, and I felt cold sweat come out just hearing about it. 
and she said that her father, her, her father felt like his heart was going to explode, that her heart attack was about to happen. And she said, don't say this, but he even said, um, if I didn't find your daughter, I would have killed myself. <laughs> it was in such distress. So imagine two full days. What a parent would imagine, how frustrated. So do you think that a parent would have been uh, justified to say, son, why have you done this to us? Why have you done this to us? Why have you treated us like this? We have known you to be so responsible growing up, and now you have caused us such pain. My mom sitting right there, if I had said to her, why were you searching for me? Don't you know I would be in my father's house? I'll tell you, the only question we have to ask is how many times she would slap me. <laughs> she just waved. Oh, my gosh. All right. You guys should get to know her. She is really fun. Um, yeah. Yeah. If you think I'm nonsense, yeah, she's crazy. All right? And, and <laughs> I just got a little bit of it. <laughs> she would have given me one big tight slap. All right? And it's biblical, right? Spare the rod and, you know, <laughs> spoil the, uh, <laughs> the child. And so really in this messy situation that Luke is presenting, we begin to see such a, a, a real, authentic life, family life of Jesus. And in this humanity, we're going to learn some of the things that really jumped out at me in this passage. I'm going to go and cover those three things. And by now you would guess, they, they will spell out H-O-T. And I'll explain the background to that later, you know, and embarrass my wife. But yes, um, once again, please turn to your neighbor and say, you got to be hot. <clears throat> All right, we're going to go straight into the, the H now. The first H this is interesting because we've just seen the way that Jesus responded to his parents, but through this story, this narrative, I was able to see such deep humility in Jesus. In terms of the humanity he took on, there was nothing that he, you know, he, he, he said, oh, I, I'm God, I don't need to experience this part of humanity, you know, I don't need to experience this part of human life, you know, I, I'm, I'm God, Can you, I'm just coming down and I'm going to, you know, fulfill my purpose, I'm going to shed my blood for all of humanity, I'm going to redeem all of humanity, save all of the world, and then I'm going to go back to heaven, you know, in my rightful place. You see the depth of humanity that he took on. It says at the end of the passage that he, it said that he, he followed his parents back to Nazareth. He was obedient to them. He continued to, continued to submit and, and surrender and go through that whole journey and that whole process in that family to his earthly parents. That means that for 29 years, he put himself through that as a, fully as a human. Fully human through the pain, through the frustrations, through the arguments, through the mess of family life, through going through school and maybe getting 80% on the test, you know, he put himself through that whole journey. And you can tell that even from so early on, he already knows that he is different. He said, don't you know I'm in my father's house? 
he's already growing in his awareness and conviction that he is the Messiah. He knows his mission. He knows what he's going to do. He knows that what he's going to do is going to echo through eternity. He knows he's meant for that amazing ultimate purpose. But he went through his whole journey without rushing the process. Even Jesus didn't take shortcuts. He went through it. He went through it fully. And not only that, he learned uh, up the, 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 the trade of, of carpentry. And scholars will say that, you know, you, you don't hear about Joseph anymore throughout the gospel except for the, the early stories. They say that most likely Joseph actually passed away uh, a few, quite a few years before his ministry started. That means Jesus, as the oldest child, has to be the breadwinner for the family. He takes it on. He takes on that responsibility, you know, most likely as a carpenter. And I don't know, it hit me so much during this current preparation for this sermon. What does carpentry have to do with being the Messiah? Does, does carpentry have anything to do with being the Messiah? Any, any relation at all? In our human understanding, is there any linkage? You know, sometimes as humans, we really get caught up with needing to see the purpose. Oh God, if you take me through this, if you help me learn this skill, then, you know, sometime in the future, sure, you're going to make use of it. Sure, you're going to make use of this experience. Sure, you're going to make use of, you know, the, the learning that I'm going through now. Jesus himself went through things which didn't seem to make sense even to me today. The journey that he took on didn't need to have that kind of alignment with his end goal. Not that he didn't keep his mission in mind, but he had a faithful journey to walk where if you were to think on human understanding, knowing him knowing that he was different, knowing what he was meant for, knowing what he was put on earth for, knowing the incredible thing he's going to do during his ministry and during his death and resurrection, he went through the full responsibility for his family as a carpenter in his, in his profession and things that really did not link to that final goal. And I don't know whether any of us in our journey today are, are facing things that we cannot find meaning in. God, what, what am I still doing this for? This is so meaningless. How could this link to the future that I'm envisioning for myself? How can this link to the promises that you've given me? How can this link to the dreams that you have shown me? What part of this journey, it makes sense, God. Please tell me. And we want that kind of validation and that understanding for the purpose. And sometimes, sometimes it doesn't work out like that. Sometimes we don't need to know why. Sometimes we just need to know who is with us. And many times we look only for the solution. We don't look for the one who gives the solution. And even for my own journey into full time, um, 
you know, this is something that spoke so deeply to me. That's why Mei Feng yesterday, when she heard some of the uh, points, she's like, why are you preaching this? This is for yourself, you know. <laughs> it's not for the congregation. It's for you. You know, when I took the, the, the decision to go into full-time ministry, um, it was a heavy, heavy call. Such a heavy decision. Pastor Kerry mentioned a little bit about it just now during the introduction. I mean, my wife had already been uh, in full-time as a pastor, you know, and I was already working in the marketplace, but yet serving in church the whole time. And so for God to then say, no, I want you to also come in was something I really struggled with. And so when I came in, I had a lot of really heavy burdens on my heart. So many things God showed me and in terms of dreams and visions and the purpose and the things that He wanted me to be part of. And I could see it and I can still feel it and I can still carry it, I can still see it today. All right? And I've been four years now in full-time ministry. Okay? End of this year is four years. And I want to tell you um, how many of my dreams and things that God has placed in my heart has come to pass or, or has begun. Do you want to guess how many? Zero. Absolutely zero. And that is something I want to be very, very honest about today. You know, and so God has been really speaking to me this year in terms of the journey that He's been bringing me through. And um, different areas began to open up for me to be able to get involved in. You know, in the children's church, Pastor Tiffany and, and Sarah would approach me and say, can you help out with this? And I began to take on the teaching and the worship leading for the children's church. For sales, Pastor Linda came up to me and said, can you please help out with sales? For um, worship, Pastor John came up to me and was like, oh, don't only worship lead, can you be part of the, the core team to, help, to build, uh, help me build what I want to build? And different areas just began to come up. Now I'm like, God, all these things are not part of my core call and burden. Should I be expending all my time and energy doing that? You know, you know and, and, and actually God has been speaking so much to me and He says, Roger, you, you are so stuck on your seasons that, you know, from your, especially from your marketplace that you need to specialize. There are some seasons that you will be a generalist and there are some seasons that I will let you specialize. And as I began to pour myself into all these different ministries, there was so much fulfillment in them. And God began to ask me over the last few weeks as well, Roger, if you didn't get involved in this way, if you already had something going on which was taking off and took up all your energy and time and, every, and, and, and effort, would you be able to appreciate and have a burden for these ministries the way you do? And I told him, God, honestly, no. And he said, and if you already had all these things where you were pouring out all your energy and time into building this, would you have had the time this year to spend time with people in the way that you have? I've been spending a lot of time with people one-to-one, -one, small groups, people over at our home, and it's been so precious, the friendships that have been built. It would have never been built any other way because I would have been too busy with the work of God. And I can't even describe how crushing this year has been. 
none of my dreams have even begun. And they're still there. I know they're still there. And I know that in God's timing, it will come to pass. But God began to say, the way that you have been forced to function in so many different areas and carry the heartbeat and burden for them, that is my gift to you. The relationships and friendships you have built up that you would not have built up otherwise this year in a very personal way, in a very small way, in a very uh, uh, behind-the-scenes way, in a way where when you spend time with them, they know that you're not trying to pull them to your agenda or your platform because you've got none, you know? He said, that is my gift to you. So much brokenness in our journey before God. And I'm so encouraged to see how Jesus walked that journey of humility. We have so many man-made ideas of how we're supposed to impact the kingdom of God and live our lives productively, live our lives meaningfully with purpose. But if we were to sit down and really hear from God, there are precious gifts that He wants us to unwrap. Amen? All right, so that's the H. Let's get on to the O. We see, oh, let me uh, conclude that part. And this is something that God has been speaking to me as well. If you cut short the breaking, you will cut short your capacity. That's something that I've been feeling and hearing Him release over me the last two months that there are certain platforms in the future that would completely crush me if I didn't go through this process. That where I would not be able to stand under the temptations that will come under that platform. And so this is something that has been speaking to me in this season, you know, that the breaking and the journey and the process and the humility is so important so that you will have capacity in future. And many times capacity is not related to your skill or your capability. It's related to your heart. Can you take the temptation? Will you fall under the weight of it? Will you function in the wrong way under the weight of it? Because if you do, even if you manage to help a certain ministry, you wouldn't be able to bring it to the full flourishing that God intends. Amen? All right, let's get on to the O. Be open to teaching. You can see how open um, Jesus was to teaching. It says that he was found in the temple for days, talking, listening, asking questions to the um, religious leaders. And during Passover, it's a time where the top rabbis in the entire, you know, uh, uh, top rabbis will come together in this temple to debate and to discuss the great truths of their faith and spirituality and, and, and about God. And so Jesus was in that setting and he was able to learn from them. And the reason why I say he is so open is because he's able to learn from the very religious leaders that he knows and has been prophesied will be the ones who reject him in future will be the ones who crush him and persecute him and call for his crucifixion in future. That means he's able to be there with such a humble and open heart and just begin to learn, begin to ask questions, begin to, 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 to bounce off ideas, begin to share his thoughts, begin to give answers, and, and it's all a learning process for him. And once again, we know that Jesus is not at the 
final point in his growth and learning yet because Luke repeatedly says, you know, he grew in maturity, he grew in wisdom, he grew in stature. And so he's so open to learning. And you can tell that it's something that he continually goes to. Even back in Nazareth, he's in the temple week after week, most likely, also learning under the temple and the priests. That means he's refining his thoughts and his heart and his understanding over these 29 years. He doesn't just pop up at the end of the day and, say, and give the most profound parables in his ministry. It has taken him a lifetime of refinement and growth and humility and learning and openness in the journey. And he was able to learn from the ones that he knew would call for his death. That's how open he has been. Are we able to learn from anyone today? If you can imagine if you have a bad boss, don't raise your hands. If you have a bad boss, are you able to learn from your boss? Sometimes we always emphasize and then we joke about it. The only thing I can learn from my boss is perseverance <laughs> because he's such a bad boss that I grow more persevering, you know? But aside from that, are you able to learn from his words or her words, his insights, the things that he has experienced and gone through that has put him in that position? Are we able to learn from a colleague that we don't like? Husbands, are we able to learn from our wives? You know, every time I'm uh, with Sarah in ministry, she will pick up things that I will never be able to pick up. She has an intuition for relationships that, you know, uh, I have no clue about. She's able to see and be sensitive to what is going on in a person's heart in a situation, in a gathering, you know. And after the gathering, she'll be like, oh, Roger, you know when you said this, it was, it was uh, very innocent, but actually in the corner of the room, this person's expression changed. Do you remember three years ago this happened and this person probably remembered about it and was very hurt by it? You know, and I can argue sometimes, but I wasn't wrong in saying it, that there was nothing wrong. There's no bad intention. If you look at the thing that was said, actually, it was, it was pretty standard stuff. It wasn't targeted to anyone, but she said it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Have you considered this person's heart? And this is the beauty of doing couple ministry as well. She will always pick up things that I don't pick up. She will always sense things that I don't pick up. And so, men, husbands, please trust your wife's intuition. We might think that we have the answers, the logical fixes, the logical solutions, but they understand the heart. And many times we don't. Can all the women say amen? <laughs> and as I was preparing this message, one thing that also uh, came to me was, do we seek wisdom? Do we seek out mentors? You know that we're very used to the concept of mentorship in the marketplace? But we don't really, uh, it doesn't happen as much many times in the church. How many of you have a mentor that you go to today? You don't have to put up your hands. It's just something to reflect on. 
You know, how many of you have someone who has that kind of access into your heart that you would listen to, that, that you would hear? You know, about seven months ago, I approached a person and I said, I am a mess. I told you about my journey, how broken it has been. And I said, I need, um, I need someone to be able to speak into my life. And I told this person, um, I'm going to give you full access into my heart. I'm going to give you full permission to tell me when I am wrong. I'm going to give you full permission to check my spirit and check my emotions when it's in the wrong place and to even do the painful work of shifting my mindsets and speaking the truth to me. I give you that permission over me for this year. And this person was so honored. And he's busy, but he set aside once a month to meet with me. Once a month. And we worked through so many deep issues in this journey. He worked through so many components of my emotions where I didn't know where I could put it anymore. He gave me a safe space where I knew that he could speak truth, and even when it was constructive, but yet that he was for me and wanted the best for me. How many of you have sought out mentors in your life, especially in this day and age? How many of you seek that kind of growth and wisdom from, from that learning that you need over your life? How many of you need some people who've gone through the journey to point out things to you, to say, hey, this is wrong, get it right, wake up. And I'm not saying you give that kind of access to everyone. They will destroy you, all right? <laughs> I see some laughter and nods. Yeah, they will absolutely destroy you. But at the same time, there are going to be people that if you are truly seeking, God will open your eyes to those who can be trusted with your heart and your journey. And it's not always about age. There's a guy who just turned 22. He's one of my closest friends. You know, in Bible school, he's still studying there. And he's in the uh, ministry, youth ministry in, in SIB. And I told him, you know, I need your help. Every time I can't understand the younger generation, would you make time for me? Because I don't understand the teenagers anymore. I don't get it. I don't understand the wavelengths. I don't understand what authenticity means to them. I don't know what makes a certain segment jump and scream with passion during, you know, the, the planet boom type uh, uh, and rap, you know, the enemy's under my feet. Yo, the enemy's under my feet. Yo. And they are pouring out. I'm like, what makes this generation tick? And I always meet up with this guy. He's really a good friend. And he, he's so generous in, in, in answering my questions. Why do they wear these shoes? Why do they mean so much? I'm 3,000 bucks, 8,000 bucks for a pair of walking shoes. I don't know, they call it easy. So something easy to lose money, okay? And I'm like, can you please help me to understand because I don't get it. And I meet up with him very regularly. And he's my mentor for the younger generation, things that I don't understand. He's also a worship leader. So I said, what do you do in worship? that gets the youth to engage? What do you do that makes it so that they're able to worship in a genuine way? What do you do 
you know, in this case, what do you do in this kind of setting? He's so generous with his answers, and he's just um, just turned 22. You know, he's uh, 15, 16 years younger than me. It's not about age. It's about our openness to learning. How open is our heart going to be? And so to sum that, this point up, if you cut short the learning, you will cut short your growth. Even Jesus put himself through the process of learning and seeking wisdom and refining his thoughts and refining his understanding and refining his heart. And the final one is the T. Uh, before I go into it, oops, can we go back? <laughs> this profound word, I can't take credit for it. <laughs> She's shaking her head at me. It was my wife. I gave her full credit. Okay? So we wanted to have H-O-T so it's easy to remember. Humility, openness, and, um, you know, I was thinking, you know, should we say trust, you know, and she, um, trusting the Father. She said, no, it should be tight with the Father. And what does tight with the Father mean? <laughs> it means to be close with your Father, close with your Heavenly Father. Know your position as a son and daughter of God and what that means for your life. And she even started rapping. I don't know, should I? Do you want to come up and... She said, she said, uh, <laughs> she said, be tight with your father. Don't fight with your father. All right? Okay. See, I didn't, I didn't call you up to, to say it. So all these very uh, interesting things about my wife, you only see behind closed doors. And I hope you guys get to know her a little bit better. And this is an important point because it begins to answer the biggest uh, question that we asked for the passage. The way Jesus responded, he seemed almost defiant. He seemed almost petulant. Do you agree? The parents have been searching for him for how long? Two days. They haven't found him for three days, okay? And that means that they have a right to be upset. And so, the way Jesus responds is, Don't you, why, why are you searching for me? Why are you searching everywhere for me? Don't you know I'll be in my father's house? And actually, it even sounds like he is inadvertently telling Joseph, you're actually not my real father. You're just my stepfather. My real father is the heavenly father. How defiant does that feel as a child? But we also know that Luke's intention is not to, to, to diminish Jesus as the Son of God and as the Messiah. And so there must be a strong message that he wants us to take note of. And the reason why I can say that is because there's a key passage, it's a key verse in the middle that says, they did not understand what he was saying. Do you know this line comes up quite often in the Gospels? Many times the disciples didn't understand what Jesus was saying. Many times the crowd did not understand what Jesus was saying. Many times the Pharisees did not understand what Jesus was saying, especially when he gave a parable. Many times he would say, and they did not understand what he was saying. But for the reader, it's a completely different thing. The moment we read that, we need to zoom in and say, whatever they are not understanding, we are meant to understand as readers. We're meant to have that uh, ability to look in, and, and the author is trying to say, 
Can you see what they're not understanding? And so, the powerful purpose and message that Luke wants to draw out is that Jesus is beginning to understand fully the implications of what it means to be a son of God, the implications of his sonship to the heavenly Father. He began to understand that there are going to be things that his call will take him to do where people won't understand. He began to understand that his identity is going to be the thing that is going to define his whole life's mission and purpose, that everything links back to his identity as the Messiah. And there's a foreshadowing because there's only one other time that three days appears in the Gospels. Only two instances. First is here, Jesus was lost for three days. Second is the death on the cross and the resurrection three days later. There's a foreshadowing even to his parents where he's saying that, and you know, especially to Mother Mary where he's saying that, you know the distress that you have felt over the last three days. The pain that you have felt you will also experience it when I die on the cross. And in verse 35, in this very chapter, Simeon prophesies over Mary and says, it will be like a sword that that pierces your soul. The depth of the agony at seeing her son hanging on the cross. And so, so powerful in terms of what Luke is trying to draw out through his humanity, through the humanity of Jesus. He's saying that Jesus was growing in his understanding, that he was understanding more and more that he was the Messiah and what it would entail him to do, that there would be things that he does, the things that his call requires him to do, the things that his journey requires him to do that, that his closest family won't understand, that many times his closest family even will suffer pain because of it. And so we need to understand our position as well as adopted sons and daughters of the Heavenly Father. And we need to understand that it is going to be that identity that completely governs our actions, our mission, our purpose in life in every season. Whatever the journey of faithfulness requires, we do it. And once again, when Sarah and I went into full time, there's so many that wouldn't be able to understand why we make this kind of decision. Wouldn't be able to understand why we would um, put ourselves in a position where the children uh, had less options because of finances. You know, and many times I can't even, I don't even know what to, how to explain to my own family why we made this decision to follow the call. You know, there's even been people, uh, leaders that have approached me and said, why are you being so irresponsible? Your father, you have, you have obligations as a father. You have a duty as a father. You have a duty to protect and you have a duty to provide. Why are you being so irresponsible? 
And it continues even in our daily and weekly lives. And I just want to praise God for my parents and my parents-in-law in terms of the things that they have taken up from, for our kids. Weekends, we are away at a time when the kids have time. And then they take them out. They taught them how to swim. They take them hiking you know, every weekend. They, every time I, I visit, I know I, I, after church, we go back to their home. There's no time where the kids are resting. The moment they come out of the pool, they're showered, and then they have to do their reading, and then they have to do their mathematics, and then they have to do you know, all sorts of things, learning how to play badminton. And I know that sometimes when, when my mom looks at me, she's like, Roger, you are the parent. You should be carrying this responsibility for your child. You know? And the truth is, it, it's, a, it's a journey that we continue to walk every day. And it's a struggle that we'll continue to have every day. Because honestly, our family means everything to us. And we miss our kids all the time. We miss spending time with our family a lot of the time. We really miss it. But at the same time, as much as our family means to us, the journey that God has placed over us, the call that God has placed over us means more. And I know that it's worth it. I know that God will fill any of the gaps that we have. I know that God has already been so gracious in the people that He's provided to, to journey with us and, and, and be the village to help our family. We have to walk this journey knowing our identity, and our purpose. And so just to finish up this final point, it is um, if you cut short the conviction, you will cut short your mission. If Jesus at any point forgot who he was as the Messiah, who he was as the Son of God, he would not have been able to fulfill his ultimate mission. Can we just have the worship team go up? Thank you, Jesus. I want to finish with this quote, which really just hit me so hard. Job never saw why he suffered, but he saw God and that was enough. By Pastor Timothy Keller. How many of you have read Job? And many times when I hear people talk about Job, it's about things like his upright, you know, got the wager between God and, and, and Satan, and then the whole process. But the thing that jumps out at me most is that even at the end of the whole process, Job never understood why. And he didn't need to understand why. You know, when God showed up at the end, he didn't say, Job, let me explain to you, this is what happened. You know, we made a bet that you would not reject me. You would not, you know, turn away. And you, you, you made it. You were strong. I want to affirm you. God began to scold, you know, gently scold and admonish Job and said, you know, who, who, who are you and who am I? Were you around when I created the world? Were you around when I created the heavens? And when God showed up, Job just began to declare, I know my Redeemer lives. I know 
my Redeemer lives. And today's message, I just want to wrap it up in this way. I don't know who I'm speaking to today. You don't see meaning in your journey in this season. You're not seeing the meaning and the purpose in your current season. And it has been so difficult and so crushing, so broken. The process has been so breaking. There are things that you might be going through today that you're just saying, God, what does this have to do with getting me to the destination that you're bringing me to? What does carpentry have to do with being the son of God? Why am I doing these useless things? Shouldn't I have made more progress by now? To do some of these things feels so degrading, so worthless. This is who I want to speak into today when I was praying and preparing for this message. When you've been struggling to see purpose in your season. And I want to tell you today, it's not about finding a solution. It's about hearing from God Himself. No, none of my words, none of man's words, none of man's solutions is going to help you. I want to be very honest. You need to hear from God if you want to continue pressing on, if you don't want to give up. Thank you for watching. Subscribe to our channel so you don't miss out on anything new and stay connected with us on our social media.